Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. The scripture reading is out of Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mitzer. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Clay. Good morning, Vine family. It's good to be with you all today. One of my favorite aspects of our church is that we come from a really, really wide background of church experiences. We have people that are part of the vine that are coming from, like, grew up in mainline denominations, people more Pentecostal backgrounds, some Catholic people, people who grew up in Baptist and evangelical churches. We have some people who've never been to church before who are part of our church, and we have a lot of people who are recovering from whatever those backgrounds are that you grew up going to. And I just love that. I love that aspect of our church because it's in our diversity of thought and belief and background that we get to learn from one another as we experience a curiosity of what it means to follow Jesus here together, not from the same lane, but from the broadness of the body of Christ. And I love that. I grew up in a tradition, though, that was suspect of anything Catholic. Like anything Catholic, the way that I kind of, the tradition I grew up, I was just taught to be suspect of, which is interesting because the older I get, the more I deeply appreciate a lot of the traditions of the Catholic Church, and I find myself like growing more Catholic as the older I get. And, uh, and it is, a lot of it's just I, the traditions that, that I find in the Catholic faith, especially around the seasons and holidays, script, uh, the, the church's special days, I find really, really important to root our year in with one another. And so um, seasons like Lent, days like Ash Wednesday, even pre-written prayers, I, were, I all in my life previously, I, I met them with skepticism. And yet what I have in our church have learned is that these traditions are powerful ways to root our year with one another. So last Wednesday, we actually entered into a season called Lent through this weird day called Ash Wednesday. And we enter into the season of Lent, and Lent is just this old word that means springtime. So here we are in the springtime of our faith with one another. 
And, uh, you know, which is a meaningful theme for us to consider as the dormant vegetation that is in our yards and in parks all of a sudden become green again, where the temperature gets a little bit warmer, the days for that were once short, they get prolonged with one another, and where our trees stop exploding because they're freezing. You know, I'm ready for leaving all that behind, and here we are just two weeks later, and it's so beautiful. I love what El Arroyo perfectly shared, that Mother Nature is just throwing out temps like Powerball numbers, 86, 42, 66, yep, yep, yep. And yet here we are, we're in the spring of the church calendar, we're in the season of Lent. And what we are, are encouraged to do, what we're invited to do, is to walk with greater intention with what God is bringing back to life. So kind of like right now as I'm looking at my yard and weeds are popping up, I'm, I'm thinking more intentionally about, all right, I need to start aerating my yard and fertilizing it because I want to make sure I capitalize on what's about to happen now with the, the renewing of life that's happening. And so it is with our hearts and our faith and our church. What does it mean to this Lent to practice greater intention about partnering with God in the season where we can return to God again? And that's the main theme of Lent. It's a time where we return to God. We are cognizant of all the different ways where we have wandered, where we have grown numb, where we have fallen spiritually asleep so that we can wake up again to God and with one another, so that we can return to ourselves as we return to God. So as a church, we want to help you make the most out of the season. There are a lot of resources. Your little church staff has been hard at work in this season. We want to help y'all in this season with a lot of meaningful resources. So first, several years ago, we had the desire to create an, a daily audio devotional that we would find in the season of Lent. So we did this around four years ago. We wrote 47 devotionals. We recorded them from people in our church. And what we didn't know is that people around the world were looking for something like this. And so over the last four years, our little podcast has been listened to over 100,000 times. And so we would love to encourage y'all to participate in that. Right now, as you guys have already missed a couple of days, if you haven't subscribed to it, we're now going to walk through the book of Mark in this season. So over the next 40-ish days, we're going to just listen to meditations upon the book of Mark. And they last around five to ten minutes. And it's a really meaningful way. If you want to su subscribe to that, just text the word podcast to the phone number, 97,000. It'll respond to you. You click a button. You can subscribe via podcast and get those in your, uh, on your phone every single morning. Another thing that we're doing is that for this particular series, we've created this journal, and this is to be a companion for the series that we're doing. I hope that you guys have gotten them. Uh, in this journal, there'll be daily meditations, there'll be weekly practices, there'll be space to, to write down uh, from your notes from the sermon or from your discussion within your groups that you're a part of. If you actually want a pen now, no, we usually don't push pens on people, but if you want to have a pen for this morning, we're going to have a couple of people walk around, raise a hand if you'd like to have a pen for this morning. Uh, our, our hope is that this would be a companion for uh, what we're doing in this season, and that you can keep that. Uh, do we have any pens over here? Okay, great. Would you mind walking around, please? Thank you, sir. Um, and so, yeah, we just want this to be a companion for you in this season. Um, also, as Lent is a time for spiritual practices, we as a church, we are practice-based. We try to not only center our church around what we believe, but also what we're doing together. And I had a really sweet conversation with someone this week. She's newer to our church. She's a college student. And she, she said, I, 
could you tell me more? Let me see if she's here. Could you tell me more about this practice-based part of your church? Because what makes that, like, our church telling us what to do not like a uh, cult, right? <laughs> it was a like, great question. Well, it's because these are invitations for us. This is not an expectation. We're not going to push this upon you. But these are invitations for how we're going to live out our faith together. And no one's checking in on you. These are, these are just a broad way for us to live into our shared faith. So this series, we're going to have weekly practices. And a part of that is I'm going to interview people in our church, two people on our church, about how they're living it out each week. That will come through a podcast on Wednesdays. And so each week you're going to hear from two different people in our church about what is it like to live out what we're talking about as we go through. So um, that will be through our sermons podcast platform. I know a lot of information here. We've been hard at work. We just really want this to be a meaningful season for you. And finally, we believe that we've learned best in community. So we have Vine groups meeting throughout the city and throughout the week for you if you would like to join one of those Vine groups. Okay? Any questions? We're good? Awesome. All right, so what are we doing this Lent? This Lent, we have created a series called Soul Care. The reason why we've created this series is because I believe that many of us spend our days depleted, hurried, half-awake, and in the hustle of modern life, we have a tendency to neglect the very core of who we are, the very center of our personhood, our soul. In this series, we're going to explore what does it mean to be soul-filled people, people that have experienced meeting Christ in, in a transformational way at the very core of their being. And our hope is that through this Lenten journey, we become more aware of how Christ wants to form our souls so that we can move through this world deeply formed followers of Jesus and hopefully sharing that love and grace to this world. The timing for me of this series is actually kind of interesting. There's this author by the name of Phyllis Tickle. Yes, don't giggle. She had to live with her life. Her name is Phyllis Tickle, and she wrote this book called The Great Emergence, which is really, really interesting. And she looks at church history. What she discovered is around 500 years, quit giggling at Phyllis Tickle, guys. I see you on the back. Um, every 500 years, there is this great cultural upheaval that happens in the world and in the church. Every 500 years, if you were to look at church history, it just seems like it just happens. There's really, really significant change that happens every 500 years. These tra transformational times act as what she calls 500-year rummage sales. It's like you just put everything that once worked into the yard, and you're like, anyone want to buy my trash, the stuff that's not working anymore? And it's interesting when you look at that. So these are moments like the Great Schism that happened when the Western and Eastern Church split, or the Protestant Reformation was another one of those. And interesting, I find it really interesting, that usually these religious upheavals also correlate with technological advances. So, for instance, uh, the Reformation was aided by what? The printing press. So all of a sudden, the, the scripture that only the powerful few had now the common ordinary person had, and they began to read and go, wait a minute, this isn't lining up with what we're doing in the church. And so it fueled this transformational moment. And what her belief is, is that we are living in one of those transformational moments right now. And what is the technological advancement that's aiding this transformation that we're living in? Internet. The internet. It's powerful, the confluence of the social change 
And the technological change is really creating something that's challenging for us, for the church, and for modern living. And I believe there's a spiritual component to it. So, for instance, we live in a time where there's more access to information than anyone has ever lived with in any time in the history of the world. And one could argue, is it making us wiser? Are we wiser people for that? Also, we're more connected to one another than we ever have been with before. We can find connections with people all across the world, and yet there's this epidemic of loneliness that's happening that we just see within our society. And this sense of connection is also not increasing empathy and compassion and awareness is actually fueling divisiveness and hatred, disdain for tribal, uh, this tribalism that we're living in. And here we are in America, and in Austin in particular, we're living in one of the most affluent countries in the world, in a city of great wealth. And yet we can look around and say there's also this spiritual poverty that we seem to be holding, that we're feeling. The sense of emptiness, the sense of longing for something more. I think right now that's why stories like the Asbury uh, Revival does something for some of us because we have this hunger and this longing for something more. We have this inner thirst that haunts us and we try to stuff it down by consuming more. We can try to numb it with substance of our choice. We can try to distract it by whatever streaming platform, releasing that TV show, that movie, that podcast that we are about to consume, but we can't deny it. We have something within us that longs for something more that none of these things can quite satisfy. As Franciscan friar Richard Rohr, as he wrote, our suffering in developed countries, like America, is primarily psychological, relational, and addictive. The suffering of people who are comfortable on the outside, the exterior world is great, right? Comfortable on the outside, but oppressed and empty within. It is a crisis of meaninglessness, which leads us to try to find meaning in possessions on all those exterior things, in possessions, uh, perks, prestige, and power, which are always outside the self. It doesn't finally work. In the culture and the time that we're living with, we can be obsessed with the external world. And I believe that denies the most central part of who you and I are, the very core of our personhood that we have sadly forgotten and overlooked. I'm talking about our souls, our souls. And the other sad truth is much of our church experience doesn't really talk about the soul doesn't talk about how Christ wants to meet us, inform us from our soul. This isn't how God made us, is to deny, overlook, and neglect that. So my main point for today's message is so simple. My main point is I want you to remember you have a soul. That's my main point today. Or maybe more provocatively, you are a soul. You're a soulful person. It's deeply part of who you are. It's a part of your very being. We are more than just muscles and matter. This is one of the great mysteries of life. There's this animating force deep within us. You know, what I think makes this conversation even more important is it's so easily forgotten. 
It's so easily forgotten, that very central part of who you and I are. This is not to say that our bodies aren't important, neither are our minds or emotions. Those are all parts of our personhood as well. But I believe the very essence of our being begins on a soul level. It drives our decision. It fuels our health. It's the primary place where we find and meet God. So if the soul is the core of our being, no wonder that many of us have this nagging feeling of being home, like missing home, the sense that we haven't been met at, at that core level, that haunting feeling in modern life, in all of our excess and busyness, that we still have souls that are thirsty. This longing or hunger is a gift, though, because it can point us back to God. As Psalm 42, actually, we, we heard it read, as the deer pants for streams of water. That panting for water is not like, oh, a little bit of thirst. This is a deer who's about to die. It is so desperately thirsty. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? This psalmist is saying, just like this deer is desperate for water, it's the only way that, that their life will be sustained, so is the center of my being thirsty for God. I need to be reminded that like, this, is, this is how I've been created to meet with God, and I actually appreciate the fact that it's my soul pants for the living God. Your soul, my soul doesn't. They, we don't pant for religion or moral checklists. We don't pant for a, a belief system. Our souls are thirsty for a living God, a God who's alive and active and wants to meet with each of us and fuel us and find us so that we can be fully alive like this living God wants to meet with you on the soul level with that thirst that you have to fill you and to nourish you and form you. And I'm curious, as you wandered into the text fed on this Sunday, how's your soul today? Is your soul thirsty? Have you acknowledged that thirst? Do you feel it? Is it so numb where you kind of feel detached to it? Perhaps we could recite <clears throat> Psalm 63.1 as a personal prayer. Oh God, you are my God. I seek you. My soul thirsts thirst for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Maybe that's a prayer that you could pray today. But here's the good news, friends. Here's the good news. I believe there's nothing that God wants more from you than for you to be a soul-filled person. This is one of God's greatest longings for your life, is not that you get busy doing good work, not that you go and accomplish and achieve all these things. The first and primary thing is that God wants you be, to be a soul-filled person who experiences a transformation from the inside out, from the inside of your own life out into the world, that that's what God longs for you, for you to take that thirst and find a provision in a living God. And if Lent is a journey to return to God again, I want to spend the rest of the sermon trying to help you kick off this 40-day journey with some first steps of what does it mean to awaken to the reality of the soul and to find that there is a God who wants you to be soul-filled. So I have three first steps for you in this journey. The first step is this. Be willing to go deeper. A word picture that we might use often in this, in this series is an iceberg. As many of you know, 
And as the, 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 the writers of the movie Titanic know, when you look at an iceberg, what is above the surface is only around 10% of the iceberg. And there's 90% of that mass is imperceptibly under the water. So uh, this, it could be a picture for us in how we live our life. We have been taught to live from above the surface for many things. We spend most of our days concerned with all the things that are above the surface, from expectations to duty, responsibility. We can live based from these things we fueled by comparison, or we can live from cultural norms that we have. We can uh, live from just the expectations that maybe have been put on us by our family of origin or the expectations that we hold for ourselves. We can be driven by these by these things. Furthermore, we can also have goals for our life that are above the surface. Things like wealth and status, approval, materialism. All of these things are above surface living. All these things, like what Richard Rohr uh, said earlier, all these things fuel the crisis of meaninglessness, finding the purpose of life outside the self, above the surface. Soul care acknowledges that the deepest part of our personhood lies below the surface, where our deepest desires exist. For instance, the sense of wholeness that we might have, the healing that we want to have in our experience in our life, to encounter God, to have a connection with God, to experience significant friendship, to integrate the body, the mind, and the spirit to have an abiding sense of joy. All these things, uh, they are all below the surface. They're part of below the surface living. Furthermore, I just think like this kind of living is not just self-serving. You know, sometimes we can, we can turn this conversation into like just baptizing our own selfishness and calling it spirituality. Like, you know, this is all about me. I'm just working on myself, which is, I think is important. But we need to acknowledge that the work that we're doing beneath the surface is so that we can go into this world prepared to share the love of Jesus in word and deed, to meet people on a soul-to-soul level and not just a surface or exterior way. It's about engaging the world from the overflow of what God has done with meeting us in our hunger and our thirst from our soul. So for us to enter into this journey in these 40 days that we're going to have, we're going to have to be willing to go beneath the surface of our life. The second thing I want to encourage you with is to be careful what voice you feed. To be careful what voice you feed. So let's talk about birds. What are your birds that you guys love? Robin, okay. Cardinal. Huh? Hummingbird, yeah, those are awesome. Hawk, vulture, gross. No, we need them. We need them. They're great. Their their guts are really impressive, right? The fact that you can consume dead animals and feel awesome. Any grackle? Okay, this is your city, buddy. You moved to the right place. Where are my owl people? No owl people. Woo! Thank you. Thank you. All right. So I want to talk to you about this particular bird called the Kirtland warbler. It's a, anyone know Kirtland warbler? Okay, all right. It's a beloved bird specific to a part of Michigan. Uh, people love this bird, but then they began to notice this bird was going extinct. What were, where, where, where are they? I thought, I thought we had more Kirtland warblers around here. But they were going extinct, 
and uh, they didn't know why. Meanwhile, they noticed that this other bird called the cowbird was exploding in population. What they discovered along the way is that the cowbird mothers have a very particular strategy for keeping their, their uh, young ones alive and well. They would take their eggs and they would drop it in a warbler nest so that when all the eggs hatch, the mother instinctively always feeds the loudest bird. And so the cowbirds are naturally louder and bigger than the other birds. And so these mother birds would go to the nest with the worm or whatever they're feeding, and they would always go to the loudest bird. And without knowing it, this mother would be feeding uh, some, someone else's child while her own little chicks were dying. And I, I remember listening to the story on Radiolab, and I remember thinking, like, uh, just, man, there's a deep spiritual truth for me in this story, which is the loudest voice is not always the one you should feed. And that, that truth began to just sit with me for a while as I've been thinking about just that picture of the loudest bird just vying for my attention and me going and feeding it with my devotion, with my attention, with my care, with my limited time, Meanwhile, the more subtle, quiet parts of my personhood were just dying on the vine. In modern living, there's so many things pleading for your attention and devotion. In a world of push notifications, <laughs> bloated calendars, and expectations, we can continue to feed the loudest voice that's designed to grab our attention. Meanwhile, we neglect the more subtle voice that is meant to save our lives, our souls, friends, our souls can be quiet. This part of their nature. They can be quiet. Their needs can be subtle, but they're our very lifeline. What can help us be mindful of those smaller voices? What can, what can be helpful? Well, this is actually where fasting can come into play. Uh, oftentimes people fast during Lent and they, you know, we might think of fasting as like, oh, I gave up chocolates or I'm not drinking booze for a little bit and I'm gonna, you know, hold that off. But it's, there's something more to it than just withholding from something. Uh, fasting is an opportunity to redirect our attention to a deeper hunger. And so for us, perhaps, like, for example, one of the things we might do is we might um, fast from social media and we do it not only just to decrease our time, but anytime we have that instinct, that little, that voice that starts to chirp for us of, hey, just get on your phone, scroll, numb out, we can actually think, all right, maybe I should be more present with the people I'm, I'm with right now. Maybe I could use this moment rather than disengaging and going here, maybe I can be more present to God or to those around me. And so it's a way of redirecting those loud voices chirping for our attention and going to the more subtle voices that are trying to feed our soul. Those loud voices screaming at us could just be a simple trigger to remind us of going deeper. And so part of us in this journey, friends, is for us learning how to not always feed the loudest voice. And the third step I, that I would encourage you in this, this initial journey for soul care is not only be willing to go deeper, not only be careful not feeding the, the loudest voice, but third, I want to, us to enact intentional practices of spiritual formation. I included the word intentional because spiritual formation is uh, more usual than we think. We might think of like spiritual formation as like all the things the church wants you to do, like read your Bible, have a quiet time, and pray, and all these things. 
And those are spiritual, they do form our spirit, but the reality is all of life is spiritual formation. Our souls are like a sponge, and they will, they will take in whatever we bring to it in our life, from the media we consume, the habits that we keep, the people we listen to. All of these things form our spirit. They all form our soul. And to be honest, perhaps the greatest thing that's forming our soul is what? This thing right here. These, this is like the primary spiritual formation tool in our world right now, for better, for worse. I'm not a hater on technology. I'm not anti-technology. But what happens when you power on your, your, your phone for the first time in a while? What pops up? An apple has a bite out of it, right? That's where it all went wrong, people. That's where it all went wrong. I'm not saying I'm not a hater, but just notice that. What does that mean? How sin entered the world. No. Uh, our phones shape us. They, it's, a, it's a form of a spiritual formation. And um, we just need to be mindful of that. So that's why we have intentional practices of spiritual formation. All these things shape our soul, but many of us just don't stop and think about to what ends? I love what New York City Pastor Rich Viotis, he reminds us. Uh, to follow Jesus means a life we, where we are deeply rooted and not just shallowly shaped. I think modern living is a world that shallowly shapes us. It, it really, and it's really, really powerful. But we as followers of Jesus, we need to be more deeply rooted to be able to sustain the changes in our world, to be able to sustain... The, the pressures that we experience in this world, to be people who are deeply rooted. The bottom part of that iceberg is what I'm talking about. The work of being deeply rooted there where we meet with Jesus and Jesus transforms our soul and our lives are transformed from the inside out. And as we become more aware of how susceptible our souls are to be shaped, then we get really serious about enacting practices that Jesus practiced that we see when we read the Gospels, that we find Jesus doing. We root our souls in that kind of pattern that we find in Christ. And we become slowly more and more like him. God wants you to meet you at your soul, to fill and to form you from the inside out. But, friends, this is so important. God is gentle. God is gentle when it comes to this. God will not force this upon you. God doesn't use tools of coercion or shame to shape your soul. The Spirit of Jesus invites you in participation with his grace. I think this is what Paul meant when he wrote to the church of Philippi, when he, Paul wrote this, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I, I used to think this means like we should be afraid of God and because of that, that sense of fear that we try to prove it. We try to prove how serious we are with our faith, and we try to make sure that we're saved, and we, I don't want to go to hell, so I have to try even harder, and that kind of thing. I don't think that's actually what Paul meant here. I think what Paul meant here is that you've already experienced salvation. It's been given freely in the grace and the love of Jesus. But for us, it's our work is to work it out, to work out that salvation, to practice our life in, in the way that salvation comes to our fullness of our personhood. 
not just above the surface of the water, but all the way into the depths of our being, that we have worked out Jesus' saving grace through all of us. And maybe the fear and the trembling part comes to us because we realize how easy it is to forget the soul. How easy it is just to have a shallow version of salvation in our life. How easy it is to fall asleep to that when in fact salvation go all the way through us if we're willing to work it out. If we're willing to practice and enact the salvation that we've already been given. So as you'll see in your notebook, each week we've identified one practice to explore as a church. This is not to be controlling. Again, this is we're not going to be a cult or we're not going to check in on you. There's no week where we're drinking Kool-Aid together. It's not happening. Um, but we want to practice, we want to work out our salvation together. And so we believe that God honors intention, uh, and especially in community. So these practices are meant to be an invitation. So each week we're going to have a different practice. This week our practice of engaging the soul is prayer. I know it sounds simple, but prayer is the the primary practice for us to engage the soul with God. I believe the book of Psalms, you'll find more talk about the soul in the Psalms than anywhere else in our scripture. And the Psalms is the church's prayer book. This is a helpful way for us to learn how to pray. And so this week, we're going to practice stillness and silence. We're going to meditate upon scripture. And more importantly than that, we're going to pray, to commune with God, to have time to meet with God from the soul level to meet with Christ. So as friends, as we enter into this journey together, I just want you to be encouraged, to be willing to go deeper, to make sure you're, you're not just feeding the loudest voice, but you're listening to the subtle needs of your soul and for each of us to enact intentional spiritual formation. And even now, for us, one of the gifts that we have as the church is this table. This table friends, is soul food. It's been set by Jesus in his mercy and his grace so that we could know where to go with our soul's hunger and thirst, that there's been a table set aside for you and me. Communion is meant to be taken in an honest posture. So we're going to have a moment of pause before we continue, just for you to speak to God about your own soul's hunger and thirst. Perhaps, you know, as Lent is a time of returning, Perhaps a time for you just to be honest about how you have maybe wandered or grown numb to God and maybe you have a longing to return to God again. So spend a moment in prayer. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? 
Friends, this table is one of the places you can go. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about The Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to The Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.